Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for listening in. I am Roberta, the illustrator behind Happy Impulse, and this is Happy Impulse Unfiltered, where we talk about the bullshit happening in our society, and I create art about it. And by we, I mean the people I interview. Because the more we talk about this shit, uh, and there's a lot of shit, the more that we can change and like better the world around us. This is episode one. This is my hello. And if I'm going to be asking people to share their stories, to bear their truths, I need to do the same thing. I need to be willing to talk about the darkness in my life. So before we really get into it, this is your trigger warning. Don't listen to this if you don't have the mental capacity right now, if you're having a bad day, If you've got things going on, don't listen. And that's okay, because we all need to be aware of our mental health. Because if we're not, who else will be? So for all of those who stuck around, thank you. And I'm gonna dive in. So I have scars etched across my heart and my soul and my body because of the things that I've gone through in my life. And I'm an illustrator, which I deeply love, and I use illustration as therapy. But before I started using it as therapy, I was in a place that I was self-harming. And so I was using a knife as therapy, which was not okay, but that's how I coped at the time. And this happened because I lived in a world that I thought would be better off without me. And it's okay. And it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to be comfortable in that darkness because most of us, at least in my assumption of things, have felt this darkness, have imagined getting in a car crash, have imagined falling downstairs, have imagined these painful things happening to them. And it could just be a flash. Um, And in my experience, I was dealing with it every day. And I started dealing with it when I was about 12. In fact, I even have my suicide note from that time. Because, unbeknownst to me, my parents had kept it and my dad had kept it in his safe. So, let's start from the beginning, shall we? When I was born, the doctors told my mother that I was cancer. And at the time, she was 48 years old. My parents had been trying to have me for, or any baby, for 25 years. And the doctors had the option and asked my mom if they would like for her to have an abortion because there could be something wrong with me. And my parents were stubborn and they came from middle class. So they decided to go on and have me and love me anyway, no matter what would happen. So already there, I was very fortunate. And I was in an emergency C-section. 
because apparently that's how I like to roll in this life. I like to come in arms wide, screaming into the world and letting my presence be known. Like this world's gonna give me shit. Bad things are gonna happen. Fuck all of that. I'm here. And I already knew, and my parents found out very early that I was gonna be in a lot of trouble. At five, when me and my mom were walking down the street and I was holding her hand and we were walking with my neighbor, I was playing with a stick and they hit a dog and I dropped the stick and I was attacked by the dog and I had half of my face ripped off at five. And my mom had picked me up and she, with superwoman strength, and runs and is screaming for my father. And I can hear her pave her feet on the ground. And I mean, she's in her 50s at this point. And I've already scared the shit out of them. And she's like screaming, like, tell me you can see, tell me you can see. Like, and I lied my ass off because I couldn't. <laughs> I just saw red. I remember not feeling anything. It's probably shock. And the doctors, when they did eventually get me to the hospital because we were a few hours away, I wasn't crying. And the doctors told my parents not to cry because if they got upset, I'd get upset. So Artie, I mean, you can tell. Already a badass right there. I liked living on the edge because when you survive something like that at that age, when you survive near death so young, you feel a little bit invincible, but you also feel that maybe you shouldn't be alive. Maybe that, yeah, you're lucky, but maybe God's letting you know that this place isn't for you. So because I had these thoughts early on, that led to my... 12-year-old brain saying I wasn't good enough. And so I started self-harming. It led to a lot of questions, a lot of past notes, and my teachers very concerned and guidance counselors and things like that. And my parents saying, do not share your dirty laundry with the world because they're very old school. And that's fine. What also happened at 12? I looked across a room while I was at Tone Chimes, which is like this musical thing with bells at my local church because I was very active in my local church in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina. I saw a boy and he was visiting with his mom and I fell in love with him. And it was dangerous because I was instantly in love. He did not want anything to do with me. <laughs> and I followed this sucker everywhere. He loved to swim. He loved dragons and he loved God. And eventually after some convincing on my end, he loved me. And he told me at 13 that the reason why he didn't want to be with me was because he thought he was going to pass away young. I said I wanted to love him anyway. I wanted to love this scrawny, 
goofy smiling boy who gave me another reason to be in this world. We ate Oreos, we watched Lilo and Stitch, we were goofy with each other. Our parents loved hanging out with each other. His little sister was a little bit of a weirdo. Hopefully she doesn't ever listen to this. And we would go on adventures together. And I remember we we went on a vacation and he, he was not my first guest, but he was definitely my most memorable one. We were on a beach in the middle of the night. The moon was gorgeous and it was just all love. And man, it, it was beautiful. And that boy who I love so much, he decided he wanted to go to military school across the state. So he was a few hours away from me when I finally did enter high school. And for a long time, people thought I was, I was making up this boy because only people from my church knew who he was and he never was able to come to any school events. And so when they finally, my freshman year, when we finally ended up going to a dance together, they're like, oh, okay, <laughs> he does exist. You're not making this person up. I'm like, no, I talk about him a lot. He's real. Don't worry. When I was a sophomore, still in love with this beautiful boy, I became hanging around some new friends. And there was another boy with these new friends. And he, I thought he was someone I could trust. And he took advantage of that trust and he raped me. And it broke me, it broke my boy's heart, it broke my parents' heart. And it divided the school because apparently in a small town, everyone knows everything. A lot of shit was said to me about it shit that I'd rather not say on this podcast, to be honest, because it's over. It's gone. I do remember I wouldn't allow anyone, I wouldn't allow this boy that I love so much, my, my love, I wouldn't allow him to give me a hug. I wouldn't allow him to touch me. I wouldn't allow anyone to get near me. And I had nightmares. The sheriff's department wanted me to press charges, but I refused to talk about it. So, for months, maybe it's not months, maybe it's like, it felt like a month at the time. Or months. Um, my mom would take me to the sheriff's department after school and sit me down with a detective and try to get me to talk about this. Try to get me to talk about this boy who raped me and who hurt me in such a way that... I closed up. I wasn't happy. I wasn't outgoing anymore. It was this other thing stolen from me in this world of I didn't want to exist in. And it ate up a lot of me. And my boy, who I loved, could have said, I can't be with you anymore. He could have said, I can't love you after this. He could have done a lot of things, but he loved me anyway. We went to prom. We went to military balls together. We went to the beach together. We had a lot of different adventures. 
And even though I was hardened, hurting, <laughs> even though I was hurting and heartbroken and disinterested with the world around me and depressed, he, he loved me and my parents loved me. And even if they don't know what they were doing, by them just being there, by them being present, by them telling me that they loved me. Even when I felt very unlovable at the time, it was helping me add one more day of being alive to my list. Because sometimes when you have those dark thoughts about taking your own life, it's about you're overwhelmed with the darkness. And the reason why I'm saying this is because your words impact those around you. And if you don't have anything to say to them when they're struggling, just let them know that you'll be there, that you love them, you're here to support them, and just listen, because that's so, so invaluable. Um, I remember, I think it was my junior year, one of my friends who, uh, she pulled me aside because she got really pissed off at me because she kept seeing these cut marks in my arms she pulled me aside. She was like, how dare you do this? Don't you realize that you're hurting me? My friend literally shook me in a way of, when you're cutting yourself, she told me that I wasn't just hurting myself, I was hurting her, and that she loves me so much. How dare I do this to a person that she loves? How dare I think so little of myself? That change in perspective, that fierce love that she had for me changed the way I viewed myself. So be there for people, be human, just listen and hang out. My senior year, just a few months later, I was getting ready for college and super stoked because living in a small town isn't for someone who's a creative, who's very opinionated about the world around them, who believes that the world would be better if we had universal health care. That doesn't really fly when you live in the middle of nowhere. I don't know, it doesn't fly that you think people should be pro-choice, especially coming from a very religious town, and in fact that you go to the same churches as quite a few people and your parents are going to these churches. It's not a friendly environment. Like, they love you, even though you have very strong and very different opinions about things. And I was relieved. I was going to go to art school. I was going to be going with my, my boy. He was going to UNC, and I wanted to go to Savannah College of Art and Design. And I was like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to college, and after college, we're going to get married. And I'm going, we're going to live somewhere on the beach. We would, we would talk about these things for hours. We're going to live at a place on a beach where he can go and be a marine biologist and I can be an artist and we can raise family and have kids, just have joy with the, the simplicity of life. But he was taken from me. He drowned a few months after that in his mother's pool on Mother's Day. And my mom was the one who had to tell me. She had to look me in the eyes after we got a phone call while we were out and say, 
your little friend is gone. I felt like everything was gone. I thought my future was gone. I thought one of the reasons why I'm still here, one of the reasons why I've still fighted to be alive is gone. What do you say as a parent to your child when they've lost someone that they were betting their future on? And honestly, my parents couldn't say anything except watch me deteriorate in front of them. They watched on the sidelines as this depression that I was always dealing with, this anxiety that I was always dealing with, was on the surface. They were watching as the person who helped me get over being raped was gone from my life. They watched the person that I was dreaming with, the person that came over to the house a lot, who shared my dreams with me, who was nerdy and laughed and joyful with me, gone. And my parents had to, my parents said, which I, my parents said to me that at least he died doing something he loved because he loved diving. He loved practicing for diving. He loved marine biology and he drowned doing it. And the only thing that I could think about for a long time was when we were 13, this boy told me he wasn't going to live that long. And I said I would love him anyway. And for a long time, I was mad about that. I was mad because how could I exist with this person that I had loved since I was 12 who had helped me survive so many darkness moments some of these darkest moments I've had in my life how can I was already so tired I was already treading water I was already thinking one more day every single day is one more day even though I had someone I truly loved. I should not have graduated my senior year in high school because I missed, I think, 25 days of school. Some of them because I was a senior, a lot of them because I refused to get out of bed. And my parents didn't know what to do. So instead of me going to art school like I had wanted to, I I went to a Christian school and I went to a school that was three hours away instead of eight because my parents needed me to be close because they wanted me to be alive. And because my parents didn't know what to do with me after I had graduated that summer, after I had walked across the stage, I remember looking out and seeing that my parents had an empty chair beside them. And it broke me in half later that night because I kept saying, like, he was there. He was, he was watching me from wherever he was. And I thought that I'd be grieving for the rest of my life. So my parents, in their wisdom, sent me to art school because at least I still loved art. And at least I still enjoyed creating and making and... Uh, 
doing things if I could get out of bed. So I went to art school. I told the teachers that, and I was very straight up with it, that I would may just jump off a bridge at any point. And they said, you know what? You know what's hard? Living. So why don't you try to do that a little bit longer? And so even though I was tired and exhausted, I kept going at least a little bit longer. One more day. One more day. art school when I made it to college I was surrounded by people who were trying to get me to go out who were trying to get me to see the world and experience things and I refused and so what happens when a student refuses to leave their dorm room except for classes it means they go to therapy and I hated it and I loved it. I refused to talk for quite a bit because I was always told not to. I was always told to keep things to myself, to bottle them up because it's no one else's business. The counselor, the therapist, they were stubborn. They decided that they could wait me out a little bit longer, that if for an hour that I would sit in the room and stare, that they could also sit in the room and stare too. Because at least they were sitting with me in my pain while others were trying to get me to move and become active and become bubbly and become something I wasn't at that time. So, a funny thing happened. At some point in college, I became pissed off. And I was mad as hell. Like, I mean, I'm not supposed to curse. You're not supposed to curse at a Christian school. I mean, they frown upon that type of thing. You're not supposed to do a lot of things, honestly. But I cursed a lot more and I was like, fuck, fuck this. If I have to be alive, if I'm forcing myself to make it one more day and I'm going to be an artist because fuck that, at least this is something I love. I'm going to do it with ferocious and fearless and ambitious passion. Because if I was going to do it, I was going to do it in spite of myself. So I started saying later at classes, I started saying yes to projects. I started participating in groups not because I was hoping to get anything out of it, but because if I was going to compete in this life and be angry about it, I was going to go all in. So the classes I was supposed to take my freshman year, I took most of them my senior year, (laughs) which is really awkward when you're older, but hey. But I did what I wanted because I was alive and my boy wasn't. And I decided if I was going to carry him with me, if I was going to carry his heart and my heart, 
if I was going to also carry my depression, my anxiety, my sexual experiences, my trauma with me, then I'm going to do it on fire. And man, <laughs> my parents were at least a little bit relieved because being angry is better than nothing. Talking about art is better than not talking about anything. So because of this anger, because I was determined, I think I did like four or five internships during my time in college. I asked the teachers all of the questions. I asked them, do you think this color looks better than this color on a painting or an illustration or whatever I was working on? And hopefully my mom never listens to this. Um, I applied to a job in California. One in a million shot, didn't think I was gonna get it. I got it and I told my parents that I was leaving. I was just going to move to California within two weeks of getting this job. Because hey, that's what you do when you don't give a damn. That's what you do when you're angry. You say, I'm living anyway, I wanna do what I want. Fuck everything else. I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I'm going to go for the gold. So I moved to California and I decided, well, since I've forced myself to be alive, since I've made it this far, I'm going to kiss a girl. Because hey, you're in California, weed is legal here, they like the gays, <laughs> you're not in your small town, you're not in an area that is full of assholes. You're in an area that accepts people for being people, who cheer for the people who share their freak flag, who share their authentic selves, and you say, hell yes. I mean, hey, fuck it, I'm alive. I'm here, I'm doing it. So I definitely get on a dating app, I definitely kiss a girl, and I definitely fall in love with that girl's cousin because I wanted to make my life harder. <laughs> I mean, clearly, clearly I wanted to make my life just a little bit harder. So my heart that I didn't think would ever fall in love again, my heart that I didn't think could love anything besides art, fell in love with a girl. And by girl, I mean a very gorgeous woman who is healthy, like, like, I've, I've been through shit, she has been through shit, but like, she has a, we, it's a healthy relationship. Like, what, what is that? <laughs> I wasn't used to that. And so it was a little bit unexpected. And even though I was in love, I was still hurting a little bit. I still had some cut lines. And I decided that I needed to deal with my shit. So, I started to illustrate as therapy because I was tired of this silence during, during all of this. I was tired of not expressing how I felt. I was tired of all the bullshit that we don't talk about. So in my little quiet world, I started illustrating and creating and making and if no one liked it, no one liked it. 
fine. If someone liked it, someone liked it. That's fine too. And what also happened is that my conservative mother, I had to tell her about my partner. And that, uh, that's probably a story from another time. Let's be honest about that. She did not handle it well the first time. Eventually things changed and my mother who loved God chose to love me and my partner anyway. Chose to love when she didn't have to. She could have said no. She could have said, my daughter dearest, you are my daughter no more. So I got lucky there. And we were going to tell my dad. We we swore. We were we were just we were building up to it. But when I turned 27, my father passed away suddenly. But then again, my parents at this point were in their 70s. And when your parents have you when they're older, you get the death talk really young. You get the talk that here's where we keep the wills of the house. This is who your godparents are. If we pass away, which not really healthy, not, not healthy, but you become comfortable with the idea that you're going to lose something at any moment, at any moment your whole world can be taken from you. And I've already experienced that a few times before this happened. And so I talked to my mom on the phone and she told me and I said, can I bring my partner with me? And my mom, without hesitation said, I put the money in your account to buy both plane tickets. So we go to the small town where my partner has never gone before and I mean, that's quite a way to come out. Like, you and your partner show up for your father's funeral together, where your mom introduces everyone and says, this is, this is Roberta's special friend. And say, do you know what, what I mean when I say special? Or things like, you know, they live in a one-bedroom apartment. So... <laughs> What's great about her and what she did, which was so interesting, is if she didn't like um, a, another woman, if she didn't like someone who she was associating with or someone who was giving her shit and they were talking about their husbands or their children who were having, who were getting married, if she really thought they were being an asshole, my mom would say something like this. Oh, my daughter has, has a girlfriend. Usually, the participant would be surprised and say, Oh, well, she's going to burn in hell. And, of course, my mom, being who she is, who loves me more, said, Well, at least she'll see you there first. So, for someone in their 70s saying that shit to other old ladies, I mean, <laughs> that's pretty fantastic. She's a, she's a savage. And... With the loss of my father, I cried to my partner that there was one less person in the world because I didn't have grandparents. I wasn't close to my family. I mean, there's a, there's a few of them. I've gotten closer to them in recent years, but at the time, not much. So my partner had said to me that she was my family and maybe that's sometimes all we need in life. 
Maybe our family is one or two people. And that's okay. And the thing is, I made it to 30 this year. And as you can see, I'm kind of surprised about it. I'm telling you all of this. I'm telling you my story because I endured a lot of shit. And the thing is, we all do. And even though a lot of shit happened, there was also a lot of good shit that happened too. There was still a lot of joy. There was still a lot of love. There was still a lot of beauty. And I can still think that breathing is wonderful, even if sometimes I dream of jumping off bridges. So the reason why I'm bearing my soul, like I said at the beginning, is because the more we share these stories, it's for the people who are dealing with the same shit. It's for the people who need to realize that they aren't alone, that we're all humans. These are the things that make us humans, that Instagram and social media, it's all great, but we don't need a highlight reel of our lives. That we connect to other people by being human. We develop human connection. And man, I'm naive about this because I think the world can be a better place if we're just a little bit more human if we're willing to be brave and share our stories and connect. And so, I'm still alive. I'm here if you need someone to talk to. If you need someone, if you're having a bad day and you just need someone to let you know that you're not alone. And I'm going to continually illustrate about the bullshit in society because society needs to be called out on their bullshit. Let's be honest about this. I have lots of opinions on it it's i mean i have a soapbox it's like a big thing and so another way we can talk about the bullshit in society is to not to talk about the things we're uncomfortable with to make the things that we're uncomfortable with comfortable to have the hard conversations because the hard conversations are the ones worth having our stories matter and this is why this is the why. This is why I've created Happy Impulse Unfiltered. So, what I'm asking for you to do is be brave. Share your story. Be willing to be vulnerable. Fuck what other people say if it's not uplifting you. If it's not cheering you on. And with my story, this is only a piece of my story. Because, honestly, I haven't healed through some of it. And I'm not ready to share because I'm not in that mindset. If you're not ready to share, don't share. If you need someone to talk to, please, please, please go to therapy. If you cannot afford a therapist, which most of us cannot, which is really wrong with the healthcare. All right, I'm not going to get on a tangent, but anyway. Everyone should be able to afford therapy and have a mentally... I'm not going to go down that road. I promise I will in a future episode, but not right now. I'm sharing this because we matter. I'm sharing this because you listening, you matter. And that's kind of it. That's, that's my story and hopefully other people will share their stories with me and Hopefully you'll reach out and say hello. So 
All I can really say is this is Happy Impulse Unfiltered and thank you for giving a fuck. Until next time. Thank you.